welcome to the one in one podcast where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. Love and basketball premiered 20 years ago, and today I'm talking to a real life love and basketball couple. Erica Williamson and Maria Nukas Williamson both played collegiate basketball and then went on to coach. Erica most recently was the video coordinator on Notre Dame's 2018 national championship team, and Maria recently finished her fourth season as assistant coach at Loyola Chicago. We're going to hear all about their career and how they met. Erica and Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. So this is actually the first time I've had two guests on together. So I guess it technically should be called the two-on-one podcast today. <laughs> well, uh, I always do better when there's only one defender and I get a teammate to pass to. So. That's <laughs> Plenty of mistakes coming from the Williamson family. <laughs> so oh, most important great. question of the podcast is going to Maria. You coach at Loyola Chicago. Do you know Sister yeah. Jean? <laughs> I do. Um, she comes to all of our games. Um, she obviously comes to, goes to all the men's games too. And she's now, I mean, she's a hundred and she's going to be one in August. And my favorite sister Jean story is that when um, my first year at Loyola for sister Jean's birthday, and she's like an icon at Loyola, but for sister Jean's birthday, her birthday party was just like in the back office, ministry office, so a little cake. And it's like, hi, birthday, sister Jean, whatever. It was the same the year after. And then when the men went to the final four, it was now a bash that had <laughs> media. The governor came, we had the mayor of Chicago. We had Charles Barkley on video saying happy birthday. So yeah, sister Jean kind of transcends all, I think. Wow, that's a great party. Isn't that? Yeah, it's a great party. It was insane. And I just, all, I always remember being in the back room of that, like, ministry office my first year and us just being like, Sister Jean, you're so great. Like, <laughs> our little cake and ice cream. And then all of a sudden, like, she's, you know, just a global sensation. So it was pretty awesome. That's great. I think my dad was the only one not on this, the Sister Jean train. Because really? he was a Villanova fan when they were going to the Final Four. So he's like, all right, enough of this, Sister Jean. <laughs> then Villanova won. So they didn't even play each other, though. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. But that was the other thing. Uh, there was one point in the Final Four run where they counted the number of stories written about Sister Jean <laughs> and about Loyola men's basketball. And at one point, she had 25,000 stories written about her, and the men's team had 5,000. <laughs> going into the Elite Eight or something. Like, it was, it was awesome. That's amazing. And Erica, you played at Notre Dame. Obviously, recently, Coach McGraw announced her retirement. I'd just love to get your thoughts on that. And Maria, feel free to chime in, because I know you, you know Coach McGraw as well. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty special to see Coach announce her retirement on her own schedule. Um, she's obviously a pioneer who has had such an unbelievable influence, not only on the individuals that played for her, the people that worked with her, um, but just on the game of basketball. And so I think having the, the chance to work with her closely after playing for her earned a, a different kind of respect and appreciation for her because our relationship was different. It wasn't player-coach, it was you know, peer, peer to some way. She'll always be my mentor. Um, but I'm so happy for coach McGraw. I think she has found her voice in, in so many areas in the last couple of years, especially of, of pushing this charge of women in leadership opportunities and encouraging women to use their voice, to take a stand, to be actionable. 
Um, and so I'm really proud of her that she is, you know, invigorated by this idea of continuing that while also appreciating the unbelievable coaching career that she's had. I think sometimes people are forced out the door and that absolutely would never have happened for coach McGraw. Um, so I think it's really cool that she is this, you know, you watch her press conference and she's just so happy because I think she, she sees like what an impact she's had on the game, but she's excited for whatever that next chapter of her life might entail. And then on the other side of it, you have Niel who, um, you know, played for coach was on our first national championship team, like has been this unbelievable mentor for all those final four runs that we went on as an assistant. She joined the the coaching staff at Notre Dame when I was a sophomore. So I actually played for her as well. And seeing the impact she had on the lock had in the locker room and then, you know, working with her, she was the coach. They're all up until two or three o'clock in the morning, but um, you know, Beth and, and CO do a really, really good job. But Neil just always had that extra level of personality and, and, you know, just, she was so charismatic recruits flock to her parents flock to her. Um, she's just an unbelievable role model and she's got the work ethic of, you know, any of the best people I know. So I think she's going to be a terrific head coach. Um, and not as an alum talking about commits, but I think she's already shown on a recruiting side that she's got, you know, the chops as a head coach to have impactful recruits coming in. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see where the program goes. You know, it's, it's bittersweet, obviously that coach is no longer going to be the head coach there because we had such a good rapport with all the alums, you know, not every school has the opportunity to have alums come back having worked at four or five other schools along the way. Like, you know, your new staff that comes in and says, Hey, alumni, we want to engage with you. And it's hard when you didn't personally coach them. Um, and so the cool thing for, for Notre Dame women's basketball is they continue that, you know, everyone that played for, you know, I think there's maybe a handful of people that played before coach McGraw was there. Um, and so all of us have this connective tissue of having played for coach and then, you know, also having now one of our own becoming the next head coach is pretty incredible. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I think coach is an incredible person and she's been so welcoming of us and our relationship. I mean, she was, I'm still so humbled that she came all the way to New Hampshire for our wedding. I mean, she was one of the first people that after we got married and took our giant wedding picture that came up to us and said, congratulations and took a picture. And I'll just never forget that because she's just one of the most humble people that I know for who she is. Um, and I just, I'm excited for her to spread that to everyone else, yeah. you know, and I think she'll change the world in that way, but I think she already has cause she's just so giving and I really appreciate her. Yeah. She really respects our relationship and allowed us to be ourselves and support us and who we are. And it was really, um, meaningful for me when I was working back there, how much she treated Maria like an equal, like any other significant other, which is not always seen, mm-hmm. uh, in the collegiate landscape. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, that's that's so great to hear. And I obviously didn't play for her or know her personally, but speaking as a fan, I was so glad to hear that it's just a retirement from coaching, that she's still going to be around Notre Dame and she's still going to have an impact. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're talking about Sister Jean for Loyola, I think <laughs> it's equivalent for Notre Dame. I was, I was laughing the day after she um, retired. One of my good friends and former teammates, Melissa Lechleitner-Lewis, uh, works in development. And I, I sent her a Twitter message and I said, Hey, when are we starting the fundraising for the statue of coach McGraw? That's going to go outside of Purcell Pavilion. Cause I've, I've got my hundred bucks or whatever it is you need for me to put that statue up. Um, oh yeah. I would donate to that as well. That has to get up there. I'm, I'm expecting a bronze statue with lime green heels or red heels. or something. <laughs> oh, that's great. 
Amazing. And you know, they say you never want to be the person that follows the legend in Neil Ivy. But honestly, I don't want to be the person that follows Neil Ivy because I think she's going to do phenomenal. As you said, she's already been picking up recruits. I've said for years that Neil Ivy would be the the next head coach. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but I just think it's it's such a slam dunk because she's young. Kids are going to want to play for her. You know, they're also getting a great education at Notre Dame. So I think they're going to be back to being elite and then some. Yeah, Niel is so dynamic too. I mean, anytime I went and watched practice over the time Erica was there and even after she left, you know, Niel just has a commanding presence. And, and Erica's right. Like, I mean, people love her. Her kids love her. Te- her the players love her. Recruits love her. I mean, people just love Niel. And I could, so I couldn't agree with you more because that's a, just a really tough act to follow. And now she has this NBA experience. And who knows, like, what that year of NBA, I'm sure it added so much to her um, that we don't even know about yet, you know? I always, I always found it fascinating and just really insightful that, we would be in the middle of, you know, whether it was 2017 or 2018 and we would have, you know, Neil had all the big scouts. And so we would have just played UConn and the next day she's rattling off what a men's team or an NBA team was doing and plays they were running. And as the video coordinator, I was oftentimes responsible for getting different games. And so Neil always had a collection of other teams playing on her computer and, you know, she would be working on this scout, but she also had a Louisville scout consistently going throughout the year or any other things like you could just tell she's a student of the game. Um, and then on top of that, like she's got the X's to nose chops and she's got the personality to, you know, I think she could sell a, a what is it? Water to a person stuck in ice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. the, I'm going to butcher that <laughs> phrase or whatever, but she could, you know, she's just, yeah, she's very good. Yeah, I think it took a lot of the sting away because, like, literally five seconds after it was announced that Coach McGraw retired, Neil Ivey was announced head coach. So it definitely took the sting away. Yeah, yeah I got to give um, – as a, as someone who also helped with social while I was at Notre Dame, I have to give a big shout-out to the social team, um, Sarah Higgins and Josh Bates and the whole Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They did a really good job with that announcement where I think they allowed Coach McGraw to – I mean, the, people said it on Twitter, like – I think it was Dana O'Neill who tweeted it the first time. That's the first one I saw is like Notre Dame had probably the most respected coach in women's college basketball retire after, was it 34 years? And they had a new head coach announced and not a single person leaked it. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think it says a lot about, you know, for the people that they probably told on the media ahead of time that the respect that they had for coach McGraw with how open she's been with them to, to have her announce that news on her own time. And, have her have her moment without necessarily making it about, you know, the, the media member spoiling it for her. So I think it says a lot about coach McGraw. It also says a lot about the Notre Dame communications team. So I got to give them my shout out. My core four. Yeah, they did a great job. So let's get back into both of your careers. Erica, you grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina and Maria, you grew up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Can you give me some background on growing up there and a little bit about your family life? Yeah, sure. So um, I graduated from high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, that's where my parents still live. I went to high school called South Mecklenburg. I actually played high school basketball with Joy Cheek, um, who I think I you had, had her on the pod. Yeah, yeah, a couple episodes ago. Um, but so I actually moved to Charlotte the spring of my junior year of high school. Um, my dad had previously worked for Kodak, and he had you know lost his job in what is that 2005 and he got a new job with bank of america so he moved to charlotte so i grew up in 
Honeyary Falls, which is a suburb, very small town outside of Rochester, New York. Um, but I actually was born overseas. I was born in the, the Philippines, and my family lived in Indonesia and Singapore. Um, wow. And my parents, my dad, you know, both my parents are fluent in Spanish. And so they had met studying abroad while they were both in college, and then my, they graduated. Um, and my dad was really interested in international business. So I think when they were like 23 and 24, Kodak offered them the opportunity to live overseas. And so they actually lived overseas for 15 years in um, Chile, Morocco, and then the Philippines, Indonesia, and Singapore. So I have two older brothers. Um, we jokingly say that my oldest brother, who was born in Morocco, is African. And then my <laughs> and I are, um, are Asian because we were born in the Philippines. But um, that's just a joke, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, so it's kind of cool. Um, it was really fun. I was really, really fortunate to um, have basketball as something to help me make immediate friends when I moved to Charlotte. I went to a small town in New York that was one stoplight. Um, which was great to grow up in because, you know, we won a state championship my my junior year. We lost in the state finals my sophomore year. And I loved the idea that you went to the grocery store and you knew everybody there. And maybe it took you an hour and a half to get out of the store, but that's because you had five different conversations along the way. Like it was a great community to grow up in. Um, but then the opportunity to, to move to North Carolina is actually what helped me get exposure on the basketball scene to play for a team that was sponsored by Adidas and had other high major, I think there were seven or eight of us that played division one basketball on that AAU team. And so that's where, you know, Notre Dame was able to see me playing. Um, otherwise I probably, not that it would be a bad case, but I would have probably ended up playing college basketball had I stayed in New York in a mid-major or somewhere like that. But so the ability to go to basically a school of Notre Dame's academic and athletic um, kind of repertoire was unbelievable for me and only would have happened if I had moved to North Carolina. So it's kind of nice. It's always hard to move your junior year of high school. Yeah, that's have, really tough. Yeah. So our high school, our high school in North Carolina, I think, had a graduating class of like 650. So I went from a very, very small microcosm to a very huge school. Um, so it's great to have basketball to fall back on. It's awesome. Yeah. And so mine's a little bit different because I have <laughs> been the same house my whole life and my parents still live there in Portsmouth. So um, so Portsmouth is a really cool town of about 20,000 people really liberal, really progressive. Um, and I come from a family of educators and coaches. So my, on my dad's side of the family, everyone ended up being a teacher or coach except for him. So my grandparents were teachers and principals. My aunts and uncles were teachers and principals. And my mom was also really into education. So I just, I grew up around sports. My, I have a twin brother, Jimmy, and a little sister, Anna, even though she's not that little. She's two years younger than me. Um, and so, yeah, we just grew up around basketball. My parents had season tickets to the Celtics forever and a day until they were terrible. And so, you know, my mom was pregnant with my brother and I at the 1986 Celtics finals and, you know, 14 pounds of baby and she's laid across the <laughs> fan, you know. And so, yeah, basketball is a ma just a major, major part of our lives, like Erica was talking about, um, you know, earlier with my family's gone to the final four for the last eight years. It's just a family vacation we take together and they're just super, super supportive and um, that's kind of, that's how I ended up in basketball and why my dad jokes that I'll probably never have a career change and always be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and that's, and I played AAU for, for the New England Crusaders, which is a Nike program um, in New England. And that's kind of how I got exposed and was able to end up finally at Bowdoin down the road. But I love Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a huge shout out to Portsmouth. It's a major part of our lives. So 
Nice, nice. You guys make the perfect two-on-two team. Like, if you're going to go up on another pair, because, Maria, what, you're about 5'6", five, 5'7", five, so you've got the guard Thank skills. This is, this, is not a, this is not a roster height. You can say her actual height. She's 5'4". No, no, but all, every roster lists me at 5'6". I'm a solid 5'3 three and 3 quarters, but proud of every inch, I like to say. And, yeah, Erica is a solid 6'4". And so we always joke. We're like, we got the point guard and post tandem down. We unfortunately don't play very well together, we've learned. <laughs> Oftentimes, Maria is a, a pass-first point guard who has a very good shot. I'm a pass-first post player who likes to set up my teammates. So um, I think we're probably too unselfish, which then, all, but yet also very competitive. So when we play, we just oftentimes want to punch each other in the face. And, uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure any married couple out there knows uh, knows what we're saying. But, uh, but yeah, it was. it's kind of funny. Like, every post player needs their point guard, so... yeah. Yeah, so as you can imagine, we get that joke a lot, and we I'd be totally agree with it. It's kind of funny in a lot of ways. So <laughs> right, We've chosen not to play as much basketball because I think for both of us, it's just overly competitive. So right now we're in the midst of some um, unbelievable tennis matches. <laughs> oh, nice. Tennis is fun. Yeah. Is fun, yeah. We're both the same level of good and bad, I think, where we're winning. <laughs> Um, I know for me personally, when I play basketball, it's hard sometimes because I'm like, I remember all the things I used to be able to do and my body does not move accordingly. So it just is increasingly frustrating to play pickup or <laughs> shoot and stuff when, you know, you make a move and you're like, whoops, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I used to be able to do a backhand in tennis, but, you know, age has gotten the best of me. I can no longer do it. Yeah. Is that a two handed backhand? I think I did it one-handed. I also, like, would just play tennis for fun. I don't have the fundamentals, but I can do a solid one-hand backhand. Nice. Good to know. We're, we're still learning, so. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I hit it the hardest. It probably, like, just grazed over the net, but it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> and just a little bit of, uh, more about your high school career. Erica, you won a state championship in 2006 for South Mecklenburg. I can't believe you and Joy Cheek played on the same team, a Duke recruit and a Notre Dame recruit. You guys must have dominated. Yeah, it was actually pretty incredible. We, um, I won a high school champion or a state championship in upstate New York um, when I was a junior. We lost in the state finals my my sophomore year, and so my parents, knowing we were going to move, my dad actually lived in North Carolina for six months before we moved down here. And so they were really lucky. They knew that basketball was a central piece of my life, so they actually let me pick the high school that I wanted to go to. So it was kind of like recruiting, but not really. It was like our decision, but we like researched all the different schools in North Carolina. And, and my parents were, you know, kind enough to buy a high or buy a home in the district that was for South Mecklenburg. Um, Cause South Mech had lost, I think in the state semis or quarters, Joy's junior year were the, were the same age. So it's kind of incredible. It was funny. She when I started going to South Mech, I think she was being recruited by Notre Dame and by Duke. And shortly after, um, like that, you know, spring, summer, she committed to Duke. But it was funny that, like, just a couple months later, Notre Dame started recruiting me, and I went to Notre Dame, and she went to Duke. And, um, yeah, she was a McDonald's All-American, unbelievable player at Duke as well. And so it was fun for our high school. We had, I think, we had another um, player, Betsy Horowitz, who played Division One volleyball at Virginia Tech. And I think from our team, we had probably six or seven division one, two or three athletes. So we had a couple kids from our team that went and played. And for a high school team that was a, a public high school in North Carolina, that was pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah, that is incredible. Yeah. 
And Maria, you went to Portsmouth High School, where you had a standout basketball and volleyball career. I'm guessing you were the libero. Right. No, I, this is New Hampshire volleyball in a nutshell. I was an outside hitter. Um, really? I, yeah, I know. I told you. It's New Hampshire volleyball. Yeah. When was the last time you saw a 5-4 outside hitter? Wow. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I that was when I could still I could jump really well. My sister actually went on to play college volleyball and was a libero, so she had the appropriate position for um, for her height. But yeah, no volleyball and basketball. Picked up volleyball going into my freshman year of high school because I wasn't really a big soccer player or anything like that. And my family was really big on three sport athletes. And so I had already had softball. I knew I was going to do softball in the spring. And so I picked up volleyball and loved it. Um, it's the, my volleyball coach actually is one of the top, probably three biggest influences in my influence in my life. Besides my parents, he was a 75 year old or he's, I mean, he's still alive. He was 75. I think when he was coaching us and we'd get into the gym every day and he'd be running laps before our volleyball practice. And he was incredible. So yeah, we won a state championship. Um, we went undefeated. It was amazing. And then my high school basketball career was really good as well. Um, we were really competitive in New Hampshire the whole time. Our best year was probably our my freshman year and junior year. Um, but yeah, it, we were really competitive and good, and it was a really good experience. We had a lot of um, just Division three college basketball players on our team that ended up having really good careers, so it was really fun. That's awesome. And you both yeah. touched on this. But can you talk about a little bit more about the recruiting process and why you chose Notre Dame and Bowdoin? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I was, I was probably, I'm, I've been my my freshman year nickname in high school was six two one seventy. So as you can imagine, with inventive uh, nicknames, I was six two when I was thirteen years old. So I think I've always been kind of destined to play a sport and. Um, I was lucky enough to have good hand-eye coordination. So I always played AAU, and in upstate New York, I would play on teams um, that were just kind of local community teams. And so I was recruited by – I had a a teammate who was a year older than me who ended up going to Pittsburgh, and so she got a lot of accolades because she was a really good scorer. I've always kind of been this post player that was just a really good teammate, really good at passing, rebounding. I didn't really have a lot of sets drawn for me when I was in high school, and so – her recruitment um, brought other coaches to our games. And, you know, so anyways, I was recruited by a lot of mid to low level D1 schools from probably eighth and ninth grade on. And then when I moved to North Carolina, I joined an AAU team that was sponsored by Adidas. And so on that team, there were kids that ended up at UConn, at Carolina, ECU. Um, And so we started playing on the summer circuit that back then was super popular with adidas tournaments so i remember pretty much spending the entire month of june um in atlanta georgia we played at all the adidas tournaments and then i went to i was invited to the adidas top 10 camp which is like the top 100 kids um that summer and so that's kind of where i exploded on the recruiting scene because all of a sudden coming from the middle of nowhere where a very limited amount of like northeastern kind of new york state pennsylvania that area coaches saw me play I was now seen on all the major top circuits. So I, I, I was really fortunate. I was this, you know, six, three, six, four redhead pops out of nowhere. People are like, Holy cow. <laughs> um, so I, I was really lucky and it's actually kind of funny. I, um, we had always given my dad's cell phone number as like the point of contact. 
And so I got kind of exhausted halfway through the summer because so many coaches were calling my dad and the recruiting process is great. I was so grateful for it, but I was kind of overloaded with the amount of choices. And I was like, all right, I'm done. Here's my top 10 list. Um, it was like, you know, Georgetown, Penn State with Reedy Portland back then, UNC Charlotte, which was a local school, Amanda Butler, who's now at Clemson was the head coach um, when I was in high school. And so there's a lot of other kind of regional, but bigger names, a mix of high academic. Um, my parents have always stressed education over everything, uh, but it was a mix of high academic and like good athletic. I wouldn't say that it was like unbelievable athletic. Like I wasn't getting recruited by the, I don't know, UCLA's of the world and stuff. I won't say that other UC name because, <laughs> you know, but um, anyways, so I, I remember my Coquise Washington, who was the associate head coach at Notre Dame. I had my t- top 10 list and um, she called my dad and my dad was like, and I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody else. And Coquise, who went on to Penn State to become the head coach there and is now at Oklahoma. Um, she was like, my dad was like, okay, uh, Eric is not available right now, but she'll call you right back. And I'll never forget, I went on campus that August. So, you know, it's July and August, literally in two months, my whole world got flipped upside down with recruiting. And I went and visited Notre Dame. I met Coach McGraw and Angie Potoff and Jonathan Sippus, who's now the head coach at Wisconsin. Um, and Angie, who's the, uh, actually, I think she's the video coordinator at Notre Dame now. No, she's the Dobo, director of ops. So I met all of them and I, I fell in love with Notre Dame. I will never forget for anyone that's been to campus, you know, uh, Notre Dame, things that ND Ave is the main road that drives straight up to the Golden Dome and it's kind of lined by these trees. And I will, I will never forget, I still get kind of, you know, tingles thinking about driving up Notre Dame Ave with my parents. My face was pressed across the back window and I could just tell that that place was different. And I felt bad for the schools that had recruited me since I was in ninth grade, but it was over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> fell in love with Notre Dame and it was the best academic, which I think was really important for me. Um, and especially for my family, my dad knew how good Notre Dame's academics were and how strong they were. So he said, you know, Erica will call you back. Even though I kind of said no to everybody else, he was like, I know this school is really good academically. Um, and then when we met coach McGraw and got to know kind of that family, she, we just, we fell in love with Notre Dame and the rest was kind of history. So, nice. yeah. Um, mine, like I said, I played for the New England Crusaders, which at that time was a Nike program. And before that I had played, you know, in small AAU programs, but kind of like Eric was talking about with going with Adidas and that circuit, it was kind of like the early days of the shoe companies. And that's what really gave me more exposure, um, kind of across New England and nationally and everything. Um, my going into my junior summer, similar to Erica, that's when I gained a lot more attention. You know, we went out and played at places like the end of the trail in Oregon. We played a big, big tournaments in Chicago. I knew I wanted to be really close to home. Um, I said that I, so I ended up doing visits at three places at Bowdoin, NYU and Johns Hopkins. And I had to fly to Johns Hopkins. And I remember getting off the plane, coming back. And I was like, I know I don't want to be on a plane going to college. Mm -hmm that for a fact um but high economics really important to me and then uh, just a high level of basketball so i had some division two offers but um, my parents were really really set on high academics and some of the division three schools just had better academics i mean bowden's a top five school in the country same with johns hopkins and nyu and so that was and bowden actually had been to the national championship the year before i got there so i learned a lot about division three basketball just in my recruiting process and I was really set on going to NYU, and I told my dad, especially the first time he ever brought Bowden up to me, 
And he was like, you really should take them seriously. I was like, dad, I'm never going to school in Maine. I don't like Maine. I don't want to be in Maine. <laughs> and I went to my NYU visit and had the best time. They took me to like Little Italy. There was a festival. Oh my God, it was amazing. And so my Bowdoin visit was the next weekend. And my parents said like, you have to go. Like you have to do it. They're really good. Like I said, they were just in the national championship. I mean, this is a life-changing experience. So I was like, fine, I'll go. And I had the best time on my visit. I always say I picked Bowdoin because people said hi to me. Um, I'm not like, I know it's really simple, but I just remember, especially, and you can imagine going from NYU to Brunswick, Maine, you know, NYU, you're just another person in New York City. And then in Maine, it was, it was just really different. And Bowdoin's is just a really special place. And so it was, it was, yeah, the visit was awesome. I I went with another um, potential recruit and at the end of the visit she said she's like yeah i'm probably gonna go to tufts and i was like yeah i'll most likely go to nyu see you later and now she's my best friend and she, oh that's awesome we lived together all four years yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> that's about, like, awesome yeah so one went to school in indiana and one went to school in maine so you guys must have packed heavy on the winter clothes yeah. I, I, I remember so great. My senior, awesome yeah, it, uh, yeah. My senior year in North Carolina, I like got used to wearing like a light sweater um, as like my winter coat since it was so warm in high school. And then I went to Notre Dame, and my freshman year it snowed on October 12th, which happens to be my birthday. And I was like, <laughs> "What did I do? Like, uh, I don't think it snowed the entire winter." And yeah. yeah, it's when you learn that you have snow days in high school, but you do not have snow days no. in college. We used to map out at Notre Dame the path that we would take to make it from my dorm, which was really far away, to, like, the academic center with being outside for the shortest amount of time. Like, how many buildings could we cut through because the the wind chill was just, oh, (laughs) so hard. (laughs) Kind of like Chicago now where we live. Oh, yeah. The Windy City. Oh, quite windy windy, it is. Yeah, although I think that's more named because of politics than the actual wind, but the wind factor is definitely a thing. Yeah, we did learn that on our architecture tour this this year we went on. We were like, good, fun fact. Yeah, if you guys ever visit, if anyone listening ever visits Chicago, the architecture tours are pretty awesome. Um, and, like, Chicago is known for, what is it, the, the filibusters? Bean? The beat talk so much? The, no, the Windy uh, City comes back, talking so yeah, much. Yeah. Politics, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the bean. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, the bean. So I want to go over some of your highlights from college because you guys both had a bit. Maria, let's let's talk about you first. First okay. off, you have the best mascot, the polar bear. Amazing. Yes. I was hoping you would bring that up. Yep, the polar bears. It's, it's great. That's amazing. It is. Yeah, there's a stuffed polar bear in the lobby of... Um, Moral gym where but where we play basketball boat in. Like not a stuffed animal, no, like, like an a actual stuffed oh, wow. bear. Yeah, it's intense. It's very intense. But anyways, continue. That is a major highlight though. So yeah. it has a great women's basketball program. As you mentioned before, you went there, it was in the national championship. You played from two thousand five to two thousand nine, and you were consistently in the tournament, I think all four years. Yeah, all four years, two elite eights. My sophomore year, we were ranked number one the entire year and got upset in the Elite Eight. We had the National Player of the Year on our team. And then junior year, we lost in the second round both uh, both years. Both, both actually on buzzer beaters, which is kind of crazy. Ooh, but, that is crazy. 
know that. Um, but yeah, lots of NCAA tournament experience, three of four conference championships. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, it's funny, like in my coaching career, I've been around pretty much all building programs and people always, you know, will ask me about it. And I'm like, you know, I chose a, a winning program in college and I learned so much from that. And now I'm like, I appreciate building programs so much more with how much it takes to get to that point, you know, and I, I joined Bowdoin at the right time, I would say. Um, and now they're still incredible. So. Yeah, absolutely. You were MVP of the Coastal Marine Classic Tournament your junior year. Senior year, you're a captain. You make first team all-conference. You end your career with 294 assists, which is ranked seventh in program history. And you're sixth in history with three-point makes. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I know, right? I passed the ball a lot, and I took a lot of threes. That's what I like to say. (laughs) Um, And people left me open when I... After I was giving the ball to other people so much. Yeah, no, I, I love being a point guard. Um, I'm super biased. It's still my favorite position on the court. Um, but I, yeah, I loved being a point guard and I loved the system we played into. And we just, I had some really, really good players around me who are still some of my best friends. And I just, it's the best memories of winning. I mean, winning memories are just really kind of incredible. So Nice. And, and not to take a dig at your height, I'm your height as well, but to play college basketball at 5'3", that's amazing. Yeah. It is. Yeah, you have to have a really, you know, one of the things that Carol Leary, who was my AAU coach with the Crusaders, always taught me and really harped on me about was the just how good my handle had to be. Um, and how physically strong I had to be. So my junior, my sophomore or junior in high school, I really committed to getting stronger and I really committed to being a better ball handler. And those were two things that I just, I think without, if I hadn't done that, college would have been a lot different, you know? Um, But those were two things that I really prided myself on. I really, and I think it helped a lot. And I, I mean, you know, I was fearless. I think that's a lot of short players have to be fearless. And I definitely was, you know, I was a little bit of a flopper because of that too, but that's okay. Shocker. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I totally embraced my height, but that's a great point. Nice. And Erica, you had a great career at Notre Dame. You played from 2006 to 2010 and they were in the Big East at the time. Were you kind of pissed that they didn't move to the ACC earlier? Because it would have made it easier on your parents traveling to some games. <laughs> my parents joke. My dad, I think the first year the, AC, the Notre Dame went to the ACC, he was like, really? Because it was like a 2000. <laughs> He's like, you could have done this a couple years earlier. <laughs> um, I loved the Big East. That conference back then was unreal. We had such great natural rivalries. Um, we had the Yukon rivalry. We had Louisville. I mean, Pittsburgh was a big rival of ours because Agnes Bernano was the head coach and Javante Zellis was there and their team was a sweet 16 team. St. John's was a huge rival of ours, um, just in terms of competitive games. And I, I missed that conference tremendously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see what Notre Dame did in the ACC after they joined it and the dominance they had the first couple of years. Um, I was really lucky to just be part of that program. I'm no MVP of that coastal tournament, though, you know? <laughs> Gotta marry one instead if you can't be one. <laughs> no, but you, you really did. Have, you, have, uh, you have some accolades as well. But you played sort of right on the cusp of Notre Dame becoming a powerhouse. So you and your teammates really deserve a lot, a lot of credit for helping to build that up. Thank you, Jen. I agree. No, we, uh, it's so funny. Um, I mean, the, the crew that came in after us that played from 2011 to even today, right? 
Um, the 2011 to 2018 was some of, you know, the best teams and best players that have ever played in Notre Dame history. And um, I like we like to joke we went to four NCAA tournaments, two of them Sweet 16 games. Um, and we at that point for Notre Dame women's basketball was a great accomplishment. Um, and we used to joke that, you know, back then we were pretty good. And then all these kids came in and they're like, yeah, we went to 16s. They're like, but did you go to five straight final fours? You're like, no, but I taught them everything they know. Um, no, but, uh, it was fun. I think it was, it's cool to be a part of that. We obviously, our class will never get, um, you know, in the record books for those types of final fours and those things. But I think, um, we had a really strong senior class that, at the end of the day, I think our seniors between Melissa Lockleitner, Ashley Barlow, Lindsay Schrader, and myself played in like some astronomically high. We were like the, the class that had played, played the most games until like the 2015 or 2016 class at Notre Dame. Um, Cause we'd all played in like 130 something games, all four of us. So uh, we had a really good group of, of young women that I, you know, we like to joke, but I mean, yeah, it was pretty fun. It's fun when we played fun, you know, fun to cheer them on afterwards as well to see all the success they had after us. Yeah. And you mentioned you as well as the three other names. That's a great recruiting class. Yeah. We, Lindsay Schrader was technically a year older than us, but then she tore ACL. She was a McDonald's all American. Ashley Barlow was a McDonald's all American. I think Um, Melissa Lechleitner. I mean, three of the top guards in Notre Dame women's basketball history. um, And I was their post player that would sometimes dribble when they passed me the ball too much. Um, (laughs) I would rebound and stuff like that. So we made a, a good, good team. For sure. You actually, you were a Big East all-freshman team member, and you win the Christopher Zurich Award for your contributions to the school and community. It's pretty awesome because you really, you're putting the, the student-athlete, the student part in it, right? You're in the community. I think that's great. Yeah, I was, uh, one of the biggest things I'm proud of with Notre Dame is I took advantage of being a student-athlete there. Um, some people go and they just want to be an athlete and that's okay. They all have their own path, but I really, really enjoyed my opportunity to be a student. Um, and so I was president of SAC while I was there. I was really actively involved in the Notre Dame community. I, um, I actually graduated a semester early. And so because of that, I had a lighter class load my entire senior year. Cause I only needed three classes in the fall and then three classes in the spring. Cause I was technically a grad student. And so that gave me the opportunity to take on some leadership opportunities with SAC. And so I think I spent an hour or two hours every single day working on SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Council. So it's kind of the leaders of your athletics um, department, all the students. So there's one rep from every team. Um, Some teams that are larger have more reps. And so that was a, a great opportunity for me to develop some of those leadership chops outside of of the of, of the court and outside of my team too and so i absolutely loved that opportunity and um you know loved being part of the notre dame community and, and the friends that i made i still have seven best friends that i met my second day of college living in lions hall that i still i'm on a text thread you know 16 years later 15 years later whatever it is from our freshman year i think that's great because a lot of athletes in, in colleges especially d1 colleges will really kind of just hang with their teammates, but I'm sure those those people you met your first day weren't all teammates of yours. Yeah, one was a pole vaulter, another one um, did crew, but a non-varsity uh, athlete. A lot of them played sports in high school, um, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's potentially an unpopular opinion now that you have, like, athlete-specific dorms and you have a lot of 
um, athletes rooming together. But I think my experience at Notre Dame was 100% um, influenced and, and made a better experience all around because of my, my college roommates. Um, I had a, a world of basketball that I could be in and I, I loved it. And I had all my teammates that I got along with really well, but on a day when basketball becomes too much, I, I removed that, you know, persona of mine and, and became just an average college student who was hanging out on a Sunday um, with her friends trying to figure out how much candy we could shove in our mouth, you know, like, or, you know, some of my friends are now doctors and ER physicians and all that stuff. So they're doing much better things than shoving candy in our mouth anymore. But um, just like I, I got the chance to be a normal student, which I think is so powerful. Um, and it made, made me appreciate Notre Dame in a different way than I think sometimes and, and see it in a different lens. Um, cause my, my, my college roommates kept it humble for me, but also, um, you know, we're really my community that I, I rallied around when I had a bad day on the court, you know, sometimes you, yeah. you have a bad day with your teammates and you just, you need a break from basketball. And my, my college roommates gave that to me and I'm so grateful to them because they also understood sports. Um, but they helped me see the world in a different light that I think just, just made my experience that much more richer. That's awesome. Now you two obviously are both out gay women. How was the coming out process for you? Very different. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to share mine yeah. first? Um, yeah, so I, yeah, like, I, I guess I can talk about, I'll talk about Bowdoin first, but, you know, I went to Bowdoin and was able to really be myself. And, you know, I had thought about maybe being gay before, and then I got to Bowdoin and just was in this really welcoming, inclusive, progressive environment um, that just encouraged you to encourage you to be you. Um, and so I was able to really explore that for four years, get to know different people in the gay community and kind of have gay mentors, too. Um, I didn't actually come out to my parents till my senior year and they were amazing. Um, I came out to my siblings kind of at a similar time, too, and they just they never twitch. They never look back. You know, I think they the fact that they chose to accept me at that time is something pretty incredible. We talked about it a lot at our wedding, actually. Um, so I had a pretty smooth coming out process. You know, I yeah, I, I it was it was kind of easy. I mean, that being said, I, we, Eric and I talk all the time and I'm sure you hear this from a lot of people, but you know, in some ways you're kind of always coming out. Um, what even just on a daily basis of, you know, Oh yeah, no, my wife, Erica, or my wife, Maria or whatever. Um, and so I always feel lucky that mine was a little bit easier. Um, and my parents just really accepted me which was great. So, and I mean, a huge part of it was the fact that I went to Bowdoin. Major, major part of it was the fact that I went to Bowdoin and, and I just was able to be who I was. Mm. So. Yeah, it's great to hear. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was really great. Yeah, my experience um, was slightly different. I was closeted the entire time I was in college at Notre Dame. Um, the school is, I mean, very accepting people. All my college roommates are, you know, accepting and fine now. And loving, and we spoke about Coach McGraw and, and how influential she was for us in respecting us as a couple. Um, but when I was in college, when I was 19 to 21, I lived in constant fear of being outed. And so I actually dated um, someone in college. It was 100%, like no one knew. It was, you know, clouded in secrecy. And that really affected my, um, my psyche. I didn't come out publicly until probably I was 24. I think it was my first year working at, at GW. I was now three years out of college. And that's when I finally told my parents, I told my family. 
Um, up until that point, it was maybe just a handful of friends that I knew that, um, that knew that I was gay. Um, you know, and my brother was so happy because they were like, we just thought you weren't dating anybody. We're glad that you have. <laughs> and we're both very lucky that when we were both confident in ourselves and confident enough in who we were, that our families loved and accepted us. And we understand that's not the reality for a lot of people um, that I as LGBTQ plus a you know, um, all those things. So I think we're, we're very grateful that we had families that once we were ready to come out, supported us um, and allowed us to do it on our own terms. And I don't think we take that lightly, um, but it's also a reason why, you know, I, Maria mentioned how she had some gay mentors in college with, with me coming out at Notre Dame, I did not know a single gay person um, personally. So me, the idea of becoming the one and the person that stood out. I mean, I was a six, four redhead. I already stood out enough. <laughs> the idea of, of sticking out with this other you know, unique identifier um, was really hard for me to grapple with because I, I wasn't sure that I, when I, it's, it sounds crazy to think about now because I'm in a loving and supportive marriage and we have so many great friends and, and all these things. But I remember I was convincing myself in college that for me to come out, I had to be okay with the fact that if every single one of my friends and my entire family disowned me, that I would be okay being who I am. Um, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I told no, myself no, that's okay. But it's this idea that I think, you know, we, I'm so happy that the world is moving towards a new normal as it relates to accepting people. Um, and, you know, like I, I laugh nowadays, I didn't have to come out to any of my players at Notre Dame or when I was coaching, they're like, oh, cool, Maria's your girlfriend, Maria's your fiance, Maria's your wife, cool. Like, that's awesome, you know, like kids nowadays, yeah. they don't, but it was a different reality, not only 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I think for me, I, you know, it was, it took me longer um, to come out, but part of the reason why once I got into, once I came out and once I went back to Notre Dame, I wanted to share my life because I had missed out on that huge opportunity um, when I was there as a student. And so I always said I wanted to be that person for someone else. That, you know, mentor, role, role model. Um, so, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys sharing that. I know, I know it's not always an easy topic to talk about, and it takes everyone a, a different time to come out, right? Erica, you were a little bit later. Maria, you were a little bit earlier. But, you know, whenever the time is ready. Yeah, and I think um, if I had to give advice to anyone that is dealing with that themselves um, or if they have people in their lives that they think might be gay but haven't come out to them, like, let them do it on their own time. I think one thing that I'm really thankful for is I had friends in my life who probably knew that I was gay, um, but they let me come out to them on, on my own timeline and didn't really force me to do it. I think the worst thing that we can do is out someone for them. Um, so I just think giving people the freedom to be themselves and love and accept them, and when they're ready, they'll let you know. Um, and so, yeah, just being open and honest and loving each other and supporting each other. And, you know, I think, I think it's also really important for people that like to be straight allies and to be aware that your language really can influence other people. Um, and they're like, I'll never forget coach McGrath. I tell her this story all the time, but my sophomore year, we were, we have a large gay population that supports Notre Dame women's basketball. 
Um, and it's not something I'm proud to admit, but I think our team was maybe mocking that or, um, you know, saying things that weren't the nicest things in the entire world. And Coach Murrah, who is, you know, married with a son, married to a guy with a son, pulled us aside and said, hey, this is not okay. This is in 2008. And she said, hey, this is not okay. Like, I've heard what you guys are saying. Like, this is inappropriate. These are normal people. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And and just for someone who was in a position of power and had earned respect just on who they were, but also was a straight ally, for her to, to hear her say that, she didn't understand, you know, who was listening. But for me as a, you know, 18, 19-year-old who was, you know, listening to everything everyone said because I was trying to figure out this huge issue in my life, um, it was really powerful to have someone that was in a position of power say, hey, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, that's okay. Um, and so I just think it's a reminder for us to love and accept other people um, and and to be forthcoming with our love and acceptance of other people and stand up and do the right thing, even when you don't know who's listening, because it can be really powerful. Absolutely. And actually... I have a kind of a funny story to share. I, I shared it on, on another episode of the podcast, but um, my parents, I, I'm so lucky to have them. Um, they have three children. None of us are gay, but they always taught us to respect everyone, no matter the differences. And my brother, now this is in the mid-90s, so things were different. He is in his 30s now. He's a loving dad, like very liberal but at the time, he was making fun of someone that was gay. And my mom didn't say anything to him, but kind of just noted it. And like a week or two later, he was having a back issue or a neck issue where he had to go to a chiropractor. So my mom made him an appointment and then afterwards asked him how it went. And my brother said, oh, it was great. He, the guy was really nice. And my mom goes, well, that doctor is a gay man. And... You know, he he works just like anyone else. He's a doctor like anyone else. He didn't want to touch you, he did, like all that. So she kind of just made that mental note. And uh, that's a great story. Let him know it. Really, really Kudos to your mom. I'll buy yeah. her a beer sometime. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. And again, this is mid '90s, and and you yeah. know, I, my brother is nowhere near homophobic at all. He was a dumb teenager yeah. if he was even a teenager. Totally. Yeah. No. Totally. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. But uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you guys diving into that. As I said, I know it's not always the easiest topic. But Erica, I think you said about the kids that were at Notre Dame in 2018, not even really asking, just kind of knowing that Maria was your girlfriend, fiance. Yeah, at that point, we had been dating for four years. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I respect co- Coach so much. I had friends that were gay and, you know, they were in an environment that was not welcoming for their same sex partner, um, to where they couldn't come to team events or whatever. And so if the husbands were coming, cause we had an all female staff, if the husbands were coming to an event, Maria was invited to, um, and the kids respected her. I had pictures of Maria up in my office, which, you know, if you told 19 year old me that that would have happened, that I, one would have been working back at Notre Dame, I would have told you I was crazy. But two, that I would have pictures of my fiance and girlfriend in my office, you know, um, I would have told you you're crazy. But the girls like Maria. They probably like her more than they like me. Um, <laughs> likable. But, uh, but yeah, they were great. I mean, the team, like, it's, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to come out and it's like this, well, I'm gay. And, and, you know, you just decide, okay, this is my girlfriend. I'll, I think 
talk about her in normal terms, like any straight couple might talk about their partner and normalize that behavior. Um, and they were phenomenal. The coaching staff, the, you know, that's kind of just the culture that Coach McGraw has created, um, which I think says a lot, you know. I think one of the best stories was right after we got engaged, it was the weekend off between the conference tournaments and it might not have been off, but it was the weekend in between the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. And so selection Monday. So we got engaged on that Saturday. And so on selection Monday, I was like, Oh, I'll go to Notre Dame for a selection Monday. I kind of want to see practice, all this stuff. So I walk in and I'm obviously wearing my engagement ring and Erica had, I think told coach and the staff at that point. And anyways, I walk in the gym and I already bet I already been to Notre Dame a lot that year, but I walk in the gym and coach McGraw comes running up to me and is like, congratulations. This is so awesome. Let me see the ring. So I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Whatever. And the girls are still shooting around, whatever. So then practice starts and they always start practice with a huddle like most people do. Right. And they have their little rituals and routines and stuff. And so before they even started any of that coach, it was like, Erica, come to the circle. Cause Erica was normally doing video stuff or whatever. And so she announced to the team, you know, Erica and Maria got engaged. So the team is all cheering chant, whatever. So then they go into practice and the first water break comes and you'll never, I always love telling people this story. Jackie Young had not said four words to me that entire year. Maybe <laughs> not because Jackie didn't like no, me but think she's just quiet she, by nature. Yeah, she's just shy. And so the water break happens, and the first freaking person to walk up to me to ask to look at my ring was Jackie Young. And uh-huh. I just thought that was so cool. And it because, wasn't like a walk. Like, she sprinted yeah, from the water she table was like, over. Um, and she was so sweet. She was like, oh, Maria, can I see your ring? Oh, it yeah. was but it was so cool. Like, and I, I, I always remember and like to talk about that moment because I think that was such a cool moment for, it was a really cool moment for our relationship, but it was a really neat moment for Erica with coming full circle with everything she had gone through at Notre Dame and to have that moment and a player like Jackie, who's amazing anyways, but so shy and like, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So that was awesome. Wow. That, that is an amazing story. It just goes to show you that quote, it gets better. Yeah. It really did, didn't it? Yes, yeah. it really, and it, and it continues to get better, you know, and I, I like, I bought that book a long time ago, it, it, it gets better book, and I've only read a little bit of it, but I always keep it on my shelf to remind me of that, you know, because it's, and it's because it's, it's, you know, for gay people, straight people, whatever, it's just a good life motto, because it does get better, and, and a lot of times you're in control of that, but the way society is changing to a certain extent helps a lot, so yeah, no, it's a great point. After you both graduate, You soon enter the college coaching world, Maria starting at Navy and Erica starting at Loyola, Maryland. Did you both always know you wanted to coach or did the opportunity come up and you just kind of went with it? Yeah, so we will have two different paths on this (laughs) one too. So I have known I wanted to coach since I, I was like 15 years old. I keep bringing up the Crusaders, but the Crusaders was a big part of it. My AAU coach in the Crusaders came up to me one day after practice and was like, I really think you should coach our younger team when you're done playing. And so I said, okay, sure. So I, I helped coach a 12 year old AAU team in the program. And literally after that, I was hooked. So I actually made, and I probably should have said this earlier, but I made coaching a part of my recruiting process. And so I made it known to the coaches recruiting me that I wanted to be a coach, all that kind of stuff. And so Steph Pemper at Bowdoin um, kind of, I would say gave me the best pitch, but was also seeing the most genuine about it and kind of the most convincing and so Steph is so Steph stuck to her word because after her after my junior year, 
she left to become the head coach at Navy. And before she left Brunswick to go to Navy, she offered me a job on her staff when I graduated. Maria was a junior in college when yeah. this happened. And yeah. so, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. So that's how I ended up at Navy. And, you know, kind of the rest is history. So I always say there's so many things connected to Bowdoin that are fate. And besides, I mean, becoming myself as a, as a gay woman was, is the number one thing. And then the number two thing is coaching. Cause it's amazing to think uh, it's cause it's hard for a division three basketball player, no matter how good you are in college to, to break the division one coaching ranks, you know? And so Steph afforded me that opportunity, which was great. But yeah, Erica's coaching story will be a little bit different than that. So my, uh, <laughs> my path was slightly different. Um, I never really had aspirations to coach. Um, when I was in college or when I played, I just, I loved basketball. And so I, I graduated with a degree in essentially communications. It was called film, television, and theater with a concentration in television. I really wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Um, and so I got into grad school and then I decided to go play professionally. So I went overseas and played in Germany for a year. Um, I hurt my ankles. They'd already, I'd already kind of always sprained my ankles in college. And then I just kind of rolled them one too many times. So I ended up having to have reconstructive surgery on basically both of my ankles um, about six months after I graduated from college. So that ended my playing career. Um, I was trying to rehab it and go back the following September of what now, 2011. Um, and it might, I just, I could tell I couldn't run yet. It had been like six to eight months after my surgery. So I just kind of knew that it was time to hang up the sneakers. Um, and so I had a friend, uh, Jill Glessner, now Jill Coclanes, who was an assistant at Loyola, Maryland and said, Hey, we're hiring our first ever Dobo. We've never had one before. That's director of basketball operations. You should come work for us. And I was like, I don't know. But then she's like, no, like seriously, come work for us. So my first foray in coaching, um, was I was the director of ops. I made $2,000 a month. I had no health insurance. It was like a nine month position. And I, I got the job offer on a Friday and accepted on the spot. Um, I packed on a Saturday and drove from my parents' house in Charlotte, North Carolina to Baltimore, Maryland. And I started work on Monday and it was like October 10th or something, you know, I started work on a Monday and that Saturday we had our first scrimmage. Uh, but it was a great first job in college coaching. I lived on my friend's basement floor in like her office on an air mattress for eight months. Um, and it was great. I loved it. I got to work with one of my best friends um, in Jill and I got to learn, you know, kind of the intricacies of coaching, um, and seeing a different side of it. And then I kind of figured out, I was still on the path to figure out if I wanted to do administration with director of ops stuff or actually get into coaching. And, and along the way, I realized how much I loved the game and how much I wanted to be able to pass that on to the next generation and to kind of give back, so to speak, to the game that gave me so much. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my start, um, in coaching. And then quickly after that, that season ended, uh, Jonathan Sippis, uh, I remember sitting at a bar watching the final four that year with Notre Dame playing, in the 2011 final four, or I guess 2012 at that point, 2012 final four. And he was announced as the new head coach at George Washington, which was, you know, just down the street from Baltimore. So I called him and I said, Hey, I don't care what job I'm going to have. I want to be on your staff. And I knew my job at, at Loyola was running out because it's just a nine month contract. So I ended up being his director of ops for three years um, at GW, which was really fun too. That's awesome. And then you went to Towson and you spend two seasons at Notre Dame as video coordinator. And obviously you were part of the 2018 national championship team. Had to be a great experience. Yeah, it was. I mean, I don't know if there's anything better than, you know, working at your alma mater, a place that you absolutely love with people that you care and respect or care for and respect. Um, 
and and to win you know a national championship and to think about all that stuff that that team went through I thought it was just absolutely incredible we had four ACL tears um we had basically six scholarship athletes that played pretty much from the sweet 16 on and just to, to see the way that that team came together and the personalities that were involved um in that season with you know Arike and Marina and Bree and Coco and Kat and Jess Shepard and you know just the ways that that team battled, it was just a sight to see and to be so close to it. It was just, you know, you kind of had to pinch yourself sometimes. Um, I still think that like they could go back and do a, a movie. I know they did a really quick movie on it, but it didn't really like, you don't get into the intricacies of what happened that year. Like the ways that we were down, how we lost to UConn on the road, how we, you know, we were down 23 to Tennessee and then came back and won that at home. Um, we had some unbelievable comebacks. Like, it was just, it was crazy to see and see the way that co- coach coached them through that and the assistants, you know, like we had to change our game plan halfway through the season because we had six bodies for practice and for games. Um, and then to think about, we went from everywhere to, you know, now we hit a buzzer beater in the semis against UConn. Well, pseudo buzzer beater. It wasn't fully a buzzer beater. I think we, Arike scored at like one second left mm-hmm. uh, in the semis. And then, you know, the finals, it was just, I, the role that I had as a video coordinator, I did a lot of our social media as well. So that was a pretty cool opportunity to tell the story of the team, which really meant a lot to me. I think that was one of my favorite things is just being able to tell this story on a public scope on social of just some really unbelievable young women who did some pretty unbelievable things um, when they came together as a team and worked as one and, and took away the eye out of, you know, um, out of the basketball. Like it was, it was, yeah, it was, they all accepted each other, which I think was the coolest thing too. going back a little bit too to like, um, you know, I think college kids can be catty, but the fact that they said, okay, you're this style of player, like it extended on the court too, um, mm-hmm. of just accepting each other for who they were. Like, you know, they knew Enrique was going to take shots so they would get in rebound in position to rebound, but they also knew she was going to hit unbelievable shots. So it wasn't like a Enrique, you're shooting too much kind of environment, right? Like, they just all accepted each other for who they were and what they brought to the, to the team. And they accepted their role. Um, just a really powerful year to be a part of. Needs to be a 30 for 30. Yeah. Like, and, and the video that they did afterwards was great, but it was like, it was nowhere near as like in depth as it could be. I think we could have 10 episodes of the last dance Muppet McGraw. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. I would watch that for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a great weekend. Probably my favorite part was uh, Marina Mabry's trash talk. It was awesome. Amazing. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah, uh, I love Marina, New Jersey at its finest. And, yeah. <laughs> and Maria, after you coached at Navy, you went on to Dartmouth, yeah. and now you're at Loyola Chicago. You mentioned the rebuild. You were part of the staff that was hired after Cheryl Soups was fired. You just finished your fourth season. How are you liking coaching the Ramblers? I love Loyola. One of the things that's been consistent throughout, and I've been lucky with this my whole coaching career, is being at high academic schools. And so, you know, being at Navy was a high academic school with a unique challenge of the military. Being at Dartmouth was a high, really high academic school with a challenge of no scholarships. And, you know, just financially, but being in the Ivy League, which is one of the best conferences in the country. And so now it's awesome being at Loyola High Academic School with full scholarships in Chicago with just a really high quality of life. But I always tell people one of my favorite things about Loyola, besides the athletic department, is our president is a woman, a first non-priest to be president at Loyola. 
and she's really committed to women's rights, the growth of women, and also just social justice. So it's a really progressive and neat place. Um, obviously, our men's final four run has made it even more incredible, too. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I love it, and I love our players. So we get to recruit kind of a really unique um, kind of person. So it's really – I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully 2021, you'll be able to play and I know. keep the show. We, our motto, you'll appreciate this. Our motto ever since we got to Loyola was, has been turn the ship. Because like you said, you know, we inherited um, what Cheryl Swoops had left us. Um, and which was at that point, we had three players in the program. We won. We were able to convince some freshmen to come back um, who were still looking to potentially change same with some juco kids that year so we had i think eight players on our roster we won two games and then in our fourth year we are a winning program now best season since like 2012 um and so our 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 motto is turn the ship and so we like to see you know on a cruise ship you can't just like if you're gonna change directions you can't just whip it around and go the opposite way so we talk a lot about moving one degree at a time um, which has been really powerful for us in four years because I think it's always centered us too and focused us on the process and relationships and kind of everything that goes with that. So yeah, I hope we have a season two because the long, the short point of that was that I think we're going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, you guys keep getting better. Yeah, we do, and our conference is so good. I mean, our conference this year was ranked the highest we were ranked was sixth in the country out of thirty-two. We finished eight. Um, it was just a really fun high level of competition. So yeah, no, it's been it's been really good. Yeah, fingers crossed. I know, I know. Now, how did you two meet? <laughs> At a basketball game. Yeah, so my boss at Dartmouth and her now wife set us up. And so wow. I was on a recruiting trip with my boss at Dartmouth, um, going down to see her and actually Jill Glessner, who Erica had just mentioned before. Um, play. I was going on a recruiting trip, and um, Belle was going down to see Jill at Loyola, and Maryland. so in Loyola, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And so we just had this huge win the night before. And so Belle was like, "Just come to the game with me. You don't go recruiting. You can go recruiting the next day. It's the same tournament, same kids, whatever." So I was like, "All right." So I called up my sister who lived in DC at the time, and I was like, "Do you want to come to this game with me?" So we all went to the game together. And um, Erica was there, and Erica, I guess, knew it was a setup. I did not. I was really tired from the night before. And so the long story short of it is we went out to eat after the game with a big group of people. We both went up to go to the bathroom, and everyone rearranged their seats, and all of a sudden there were two seats magically next to each other. And both <laughs> at, I always get the name of the pub. Swallow at, at the Hollow. At the Hollow. It's like a, the uh, diviest of all dive <laughs> burger places, but they make unbelievable uh, burgers. So, yeah. So we were set up. Yeah, it was... Um, you never know you're going to meet the love of your life, but Maria was wearing sweatpants and a, a dry fit t-shirt, which we laugh about all the time. Um, yeah, I'll never forget. So Jill was my good friend and was coaching at Loyola, Maryland. I was working at George Washington, and they played on Sundays. We played on Saturdays. So two weekends in a row, Belle was in town. Belle is now her wife. Um, and so I was good friends with the three. Like, the three of us were all good friends. And so... The previous weekend, I had gone up to see Loyola play, and I picked Belle up from Jill's house, and we went to the game. 
And then the following Sunday I was driving up and, and Jill had mentioned, cause I'd been single for a while and she was trying to play matchmaker. Hey, what are your interests? What are the things that you want? And then she's like, what about, you know, Bell's assistant Maria? And I was like, there is no way I am dating Bell's assistant coach. First of all, they look like each other. Second of all, they, you know, like that's too close. Like I was very close with Bell and Jill, like their relationship, we were all really good friends. And I was like, I don't, I can't date her. Like, that's just weird. Right. Um, but I'll never forget driving up and I called Belle to be like, Hey, do you want me to pick you up from your house again? And she's like, no, my assistant Maria gave me a ride. <laughs> and so I it was being set up and I, like, I, I will never forget driving on, what is it? 285 or whatever the 295, the road connecting DC and Maryland, looking down and being like, shit, what am I wearing? <laughs> Cause I was like, you know, I'm going to meet this person. So yeah, the rest was kind of history. We hit it off right away. Um, yeah, we, we just had a lot of you know, similar values and, and just a lot of, you know, instant connection. Wow. And then started long distance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, long distance is hard enough, but you guys both being in the coaching field, that's such a busy lifestyle. Yeah, it was really busy. And we had our off day in the Ivy League was on Sundays. And so we were taking a lot of 24-hour trips. Thank God for Southwest Airlines who flew direct from Manchester to Baltimore almost on the hour, which was great. But yeah, it was a lot of quick trips. And so you think about the fact that you were able to build this relationship off of seeing each other like 12 times a year, maybe. Yeah. Um, and that was for three, two years. That was for two years. Almost three. Almost three. Yeah, it was almost three. And then, you know, Coach McGraw called Erica to work at Notre Dame, and it was a no-brainer. I mean, Erica was like, I'm going. I was like, all right, we're going to do South Bend, Indiana to Hanover, New Hampshire. How do we get from there? To, like, was, how does it yeah. even look like? Spoiler know? alert, it's not easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, so then I got, I mean, it was, ab- it was total fate because we were like, absolutely, Erica has to go to Notre Dame. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we'll go back to Notre Dame. And so, I mean, it must have been a week later, Kate Octor, who I knew from um, when she was assistant at St. Bonaventure and I was assistant at Dartmouth, we were in the same offense as them. And so we, Bell and I flew one um, weekend, I guess, to see, to watch them run their offense. So anyway, so Kate got the job and then at the end of July, Kate reached out to me about um, coming to work for her in Chicago, which is conveniently only two hours from South Bend. So it felt like a major, major twist of fate. Um, still long distance, but so much closer than a flight. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two hours is nothing. No, I'll never forget. You'll, I think you'll appreciate this. But my first weekends in Chicago, I turned on the Chicago news and the weather included South Bend. And I was so excited. I was like, we are so close that the meteorologist talks about South Bend, too. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> but, you know, before we weren't even close to each other. And so, yeah, no, it was. And to be part of the Notre Dame environment was really, really neat. Yeah, this is a really selfless move on Maria's part because, you know, she's from New Hampshire. Dartmouth is in New Hampshire. Her dad went to school there. It's a great program. They were a rebuilding program. Um, which was back on its way up and she kind of left, you know, she got all these great recruits together and then she decided to follow the idiot she fell in love with. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was kind of incredible because she moved, you know, like 15 hours away to the Midwest where she knew no one like South Bend was my area, my comfort zone. Um, so I think it was, it was really cool for our relationship um, to, to, for it to grow and really take that next step kind of on our own turf, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're not going to make a move like that if it's not serious. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been pretty cool to live in the Midwest and um, and to grow together, and that's kind of what led me. Maria made this big, you know, gesture and moved to the Midwest, and so it made it a lot easier for me to um, move on to my next phase of life, getting out of coaching, because I just I knew Maria wanted to be a head coach. We saw the struggles of being in a long distance relationship. And then still a distance relationship. You know, there's there's a point where you determine if you're going to work to live or live to work. Um, and for me, I knew that I had other things that I was interested in, all those things. Like Maria was made to coach. She, you know, she's this person that has known since she was 15 that she wanted to be a coach. So who was I um, to prevent her? And, and, you know, the unfortunate reality about South Bend is there's no other Division One universities within two hours. So she's about <laughs> as she could get. Um so I love Notre Dame. I love everything about it, but it made a lot of sense for me to get out of coaching and to, to find a path that, uh, that, you know, complemented hers instead of kind of combating it. Um, and so now there's only, you know, one coach in the relationship, which is very helpful. Um, and it's, it's nice to finally live together. You know, now I think we're going on two years. So yeah, that's great. It's awesome that you've both done selfless acts in this relationship. Yeah, that's what we always say to people when they talk about long distance. Because, you know, so many people say long distance is impossible. And it's pretty close to impossible. But you have to be, the only way it works is if you're willing to make some selfless, potential grand, potentially grand gesture, almost regardless of your profession, you know. Mm-hmm. I think coaching is is definitely more extreme in it. But, yeah, no, you're totally right. Because it's like that nerve-wracking point where – are you really going to make that big move? Are you not? Can you trust the other person's going to make the big move? And it's, I always say to people, it was the biggest leap of faith I've ever taken. Cause like Erica said, I was moving to where I knew nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I never lived in a city and loyal was in the city. And so I was like, all right, here comes this New Hampshire girl, Midwest, watch it. <laughs> so but that's funny. Yeah. I think, I think the sign of any strong relationship or, you know, is when you're willing to make a sacrifice for someone else and, whether or not you're forced to do it, I think it's also the willingness that the other person would do the same thing for you. So after I saw Maria make this unbelievably grand big gesture, I was like, I mean, you know, it was, it made absolute sense to get out of coaching. Um, once I felt like there was, you know, some closure on my coaching career in a lot of ways, I think the national championship did that for me. Cause it's like, well, like what else could we do? <laughs> yeah. You went out on top. Yeah. Like, you know, and it was just like, you get this idea of just like, I wanted to wake up and just be happy. Like it wears on you to be in a distance relationship. And at that point, I think we were at five years. No, we were at four years, yeah. something almost, like almost that, five, yeah. almost five years. And it was just like, I, I want to sleep in the same bed as my partner, you know, and at that point, my fiance. So, um, just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, Absolutely. And 2018 was a huge year for you guys. You get engaged. Notre Dame wins the title. The Loyola Chicago men's team get to the final four. I know it's not the women, but it's still an exciting time. God, yeah, it was the most exciting. I think by the, I remember being on the floor together with Erica after they won the national championship and us looking at each other and literally saying, can you believe the last month that we've had? Like it was (laughs) literally just, I mean, you couldn't replay that. Yeah, you just, you couldn't, there was nothing about it that was, everything about it was perfect in so many ways. I mean, really the Loyola Chicago men's team and Notre Dame women were just celebrating our engagement, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and all the fan bases for all of those were celebrating our engagement with us. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty incredible month, like 45 days, whatever it was. Whatever it was, yeah. 
I'm a sucker for a good proposal story. So who proposed and how? Yeah, good question. Um, So I proposed um, when we were talking about, you know, we had the talk of like, we want to get married. Um, And so we kind of talked about who would propose to who. And both of us kind of had barriers around our proposal or like things that we wanted to make sure happen. So mine um, was that I wanted to make sure we had two off days back to back. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's the life of two coaches. I wanted to make sure that we could get engaged one day and then the next day just have a day of peace and silence, just the two of us to really enjoy in that and just like take a deep breath. Right. So often we got used to you had one day and then you turned around and got back to the craziness of coaching. And so I wanted a day to call our families and all those things. So I wanted two days um, and Maria wanted absolutely no one near us. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm the outgoing one in our relationship. So I've always been like, oh, I would love to do a flash mob. Uh, but Maria was like, nope. Uh, and so she wanted it just to be the two of us, like in private, all those things. So on uh, the Saturday, we had the two days before the selection Monday off. Um, and so I kind of knew ahead of time that I was going to propose to Maria, unbeknownst to her, um, some things lined up in our lives. We, I was in grad school at the time. So I was kind of thinking I was going to wait until 20 2019 to propose. But then my, my grandfather passed away in 2017. And, and a couple months later, my grandmother gave me, um, my step grandmother, it's a long story, but anyways, I got a family ring. Um, and then Maria's aunt said, Hey, I have these rings for my mother, Maria's grandmother, who she was really close with, who passed away when Maria was younger. So in the span of like six months, I got these, um, these two family stones that it just was, it seemed to me like it was really just a sign that it was time to move forward with our life. And so over the course of the fall of 2017 and kind of that winter, I would sneak trips to Chicago and I would show up a couple hours early and, you know, um, with the help of one of my college roommates who lives in Chicago, fake Maria out. And I actually designed a wedding ring for her, an engagement ring. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So it's uh, it has three stones on it. And one stone is from her grandmother's wedding ring. One stone is from my grandmother's wedding ring. And then the center stone is just a, a symbol of ours together. It's the biggest. Um, no. <laughs> um, and so, you know, on a Saturday, we went on a brewery tr- um, kind of crawl because we love going to breweries in Chicago, just to kind of get her mind off the whole thing. Cause I knew if I sat at home all day, just stewing with this ring in, um, in my soft drawer at Maria's place that I would go crazy soon out with our friends. And, um, then I like, you know, Maria goes to the bathroom. I tell my friends, all right, it's time. And so like we went home, um, oh, and what? Bowden's in the elite. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Bowden's in the elite eight. We're watching the game at home. Bowden wins the game to go to the final four. Um, and Maria's like, Oh my God. And then, you know, of course, my timing is perfect. So I went into the bedroom and it had just been our four year anniversary. So I said, oh, I have another gift for you. And I handed her um, a charm for like a Pandora bracelet that says, I love you to the moon and back. Um, And then another charm that said, will you marry me? And she's like looking at it. She's like, what? And then she looks up and she was sitting on our couch and I was down on one knee and Bowden, of course, like I closed the laptop and some playing in the background (laughs) of the team cheering. I was like, of course, Bowden's in our engagement story. Um, and so I proposed to her in our living room, um, in our house that Maria bought. Cause I, I knew that was our future, um, kind of in my head at that time, although I hadn't left Notre Dame yet, I knew that I was going to leave coaching and that we were going to start our lives together in our condo in Chicago. So I wanted that to be like her memory. Um, so yeah, we did it just the two of us. She screamed, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> really surprised. 
I was so oh, that's a- I know, right? For it's incredible to like be together that long and still be surprised by your engagement. Like I I don't know. I just I didn't know when it was gonna happen. And like Erica said, we had talked about some different plans of like not getting engaged until we moved in together, all this kind of stuff. And so I think it was awesome that it just happened. Yeah. You know that it was I yeah, when I heard all the backstory of the two, you know, the diamonds from our grandparents and stuff, it just made it's like literally the perfect ring for how much family means to both of us too. And so now I feel like I always have family with me. And I think she said that when she proposed to me, but the one thing that we like that didn't happen was we didn't record it. Oh, worst. <laughs> yeah. My one failure. So instead we recorded our whole wedding and have like six hours of footage from our wedding. We learned that. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. But how could you have recorded it if it was just you two? Oh, was Erica gonna have her phone in one hand and the ring in the and the ring in the other? Pros, I have GoPros and stupid equipment like that. So I was like in my head, I was like, oh, this will be perfect. I'll set up a camera and record it. But I knew Maria would catch on. Um, and so I just I knew she was gonna be surprised. And oh my gosh, I was so nervous. <laughs> um, but it was great. It was awesome. It was perfect. So. Yeah. And you'll have that memory in your mind forever. And that's a really beautiful story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah, pretty incredible. Maria, were you more excited about the engagement or the fact that uh, Bowden was going to the final four? <laughs> um, Good question. That's a great question. Um, I was, you know, more excited about the engagement. But Erica left out a part of the story where it was, like, actually hard to, like, wrangle me to sit back down on the couch again because I was, like, you know, we had popped some champagne for Bowdoin. We, I was sending like, you know, text to my cook, college coach, it was all this stuff. And Erica was like, can I just, I need you to calm down for yeah. a second. There's something more exciting that's about to happen. Yeah, it was, it was great too. Like her sister, Maria's little sister went to Bowdoin with her and they both played sports and, you know, Maria's little sister is a huge basketball fan. And so they had been watching the game together. Um, she was out at a brewery, but was watching it on her phone. So Maria had just FaceTimed her sister after Bowdoin won. It was like, oh my God, they're going back to the bottom bar. And then I proposed, and it's literally like half a second later, Maria FaceTimes her sister and is like, ah, like holding her hand up in front of her sister's like, holy shit! You know? It was really funny. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So you two get married last August in a beautiful ceremony in New Hampshire. I actually watched your wedding video in preparation for the interview. Very pretty scenery. Looks like a yeah. great venue. And we got Flag Hill Winery. Um, it was, it was amazing. Our wedding planner was incredible and the wine was, they do, well, it's a winery and distillery. And so we had Flag Hill wine and, you know, rum and bourbon, everything at our wedding. It, it was literally perfect. It, and we, we had everything you need for a wedding. Exactly. It was 70 degrees. I mean, we were able, it was in a, you know, an open tent instead of being a closed tent. Yeah. Everything about it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it was an awesome. And the video day. was incredible. Yeah. Harrison we was awesome. we did our first look um, in downtown Portsmouth at an area called Prescott Park, which is a really, you know, important place for Maria's family. Maria's mom um, volunteers during like the summer at the theater. It's like a big park in downtown Portsmouth. And her, her twin brother did his first look in the same park. And so um, it was gorgeous. We did our first look. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have like your 45 minutes of set pictures. And like, we're literally finishing on the dot. Like, okay, that's it. And then it started downpouring. And it's just like, oh, no. Yeah. But it also made everything look so pretty. Yeah. Because it's kind of like that overcast. It's not super hot. Like all those things. But it's still sunny. Um, but our wedding was so much fun. Um, we were just so lucky to have so many people there who loved us and took time out of their crazy lives to travel to New Hampshire and celebrate with us. And personally, I'm not someone that 
that is like known to be emotional at weddings. But honestly, I was really moved watching the video because your vows to each other were beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we took a lot of time to do them. And yeah, I, I, I honestly get a little speechless when I think about it because we spent so much time doing them and they were so personal to us. And it was really just like the best thinking about it was awesome. Just thinking about the best parts about Erica and our relationship. And somehow that was able to come across uh, for both of us. We had a lot of people see that to us and we just, we were just being ourselves, but it was, uh, yeah, I think when you have, you know, such a loving and supportive relationship that comes out. So I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, of course. Benefits yeah. of, one of the benefits of, of being in a same sex relationship is you know there's not not a lot from the public eyes you know you go through all these difficult times that we've already talked about but when it comes to a wedding no one has preconceived notions for what you have to do um like there was no script for us right so it's like do you want to get married sure do you want to do your own vows sure like we got to design our own ceremony which was just awesome for us um maria didn't find that joke as funny as i find it but (laughs) That joke, I just I think it's awesome. Like we got to do, you know. So, anyways, <laughs> Maria quoted nice. Choop. What is it? Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. we had quotes from our favorite, you know, yeah, artists. Yeah, that's fun. awesome. And yeah, like you said, you can kind of do whatever you want in a sense. I think my favorite part was when you guys walked down the aisle. You kind of took different paths down that aisle, and I guess met towards the altar. You're both with both of your parents. And what was so cool was after the parents hugged their daughter, they immediately went to their soon-to-be daughter-in-law and gave her a big hug. It seems like your families both were really into it and, and really accepting and loving of you guys. Yeah, it was, That was such a cool moment. I mean, if that was not, I mean, that was a top three moment of the wedding for both of us. And it was really neat to be able to do that in front of everyone. And our wedding planner is actually the one that came up with it. Um, and as soon as she, she presented it to us, because we were like, we know we don't want to walk down the aisle traditionally, and we really don't want to pick who walks out first. Like, we, we are, we're uncomfortable with it. We're not really sure what to do about it. We can pick if we need to, but there's got to be another way. And our wedding planner, yeah, and our wedding planner, like, you know, presented this kind of why formation like you're talking about. And so it was so cool because our one of the like major tenets of our relationship is equality in our relationship. And so being able to equally walk down the aisle together with our parents who are just the absolute built like just rocks for in our lives was really amazing. You know, it was it was really incredible. And then the fact that we have, like you said, that we hugged each other's parents. I mean, there's so many powerful parts about it. Um, it was, it was literally perfect. It really was. Yeah. We we're both, we both have a really strong relationship with our own mothers. And so I think historically women are walked down the aisle by their fathers and, you know, moms are escorted prior, but for both of us, we felt really strongly about having our moms be there as part of that moment walking with us. So both of our parents escorting us down the aisle was really valuable for each of us just because they represent so much in who we are and who we want to be. Um, so to be able to have them, you know, included and have both of our parents equally included, um, was powerful. That is very powerful. Just meaningful for us. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys uh, talking about your engagement and your wedding. And I guess it's almost coming up on one year. I'll, 
I'll wish you a early happy anniversary. Thank oh, thank you. you. <laughs> the way we're trending, I think the one year anniversary is paper. So I might make her a paper coronavirus mask. <laughs> <laughs> or one year gift with a picture of me That's on the outside or something. <laughs> I like it. That's a great idea. So I like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. How does that sound to you guys? That's great. All right. First question. What TV show are you two binge watching in this quarantine? Um, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, we're two and a half months in. I just watched Outer Banks. Yeah, I have which was Oh, phenomenal. On Netflix. I really like that. I was a big OC fan, like in high school and stuff. Like OC, Saved by the Bell, all that stuff. But the Outer mm-hmm. Banks is like, to me, the new OC. Yeah. It's like OC meets the Goonies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's great. I said that too. Maria was like, that's a good way to describe it. We've watched watched Tiger King. I mean, Erica's a huge Survivor fan, so she's gotten me on on Survivor. Uh, Oh, my God. I'm a huge Survivor fan, too. Yeah, massive. I mean, our world stops at whatever it is, 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday nights. Yeah, totally. Kim is my all-time favorite. I was so pissed when she got voted out. I almost don't care who wins. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of weird because this season is obviously like the 40th year. And so they have all these like winners at war, right? Like it's unbelievable. But the difficulty is all the good ones are out now. I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I, like know. Point, I don't care who wins anymore. Cause I'm like, I'm interested to see how it plays out. But at the same time, the people that are in the finals are the people that just kind of sat in the background and didn't make a fuss. So no one voted them out. Like I personally am a Rob fan. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like the good winners stood no chance because Everyone else teamed up on him because they had two, like, widely recognizable, like, of, you know, a resume, so to speak. Absolutely. I, I think if Tony wins, he deserves it. Yeah. But, yeah, you knew Rob had no shot to win. I was personally rooting for Ethan's storyline. Yeah. And then he got voted out, like, in the third or fourth episode. I was like, no. Yeah, totally. I felt the same way. All right, next question. Where did you two go on your honeymoon? Oh, we went to Sandals, Jamaica on, I always forget the name of the resort. White Coast. White Coast. Right? South Coast. South Coast. Sandals South. Sandals South Coast. We're really good at this. In Jamaica. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was two weeks, all-inclusive. It was my first all-inclusive, and I, it was amazing. The best. That's awesome. I, I've heard Jamaica is really beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. It's really the people were very, very nice, like just so... Yeah, they're awesome. I use seven bottles of SPF. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, got that fair skin. Yeah. <laughs> Maria was like, are you really packing seven bottles? I think I brought eight bottles. And I was like, yes, look at me. And then I used all seven. She's like, all right, I see what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, she's got this olive skin, Mediterranean skin, and I'm like a, a walking lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a sunburn? Hopefully those seven bottles helped you out. Uh, I think I only got like a mild sunburn on like the third day, but it was gone after one day of wearing a t-shirt. Like it wasn't severe at all. I was, I was lathering up two or three times a day. I think it was bad, but good. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right. Last question. Who is the better cook in the relationship? That's a good question. What do you, I, okay. I'll say Erica. I do. I cook on a daily basis for us, but Erica is known for, you know, like bottom of the ninth bases are loaded coming in and like heading it with like a really good meal. But I'm like our daily cook, but Erica's definitely a better yeah. cook. Maria wins volume, hands <laughs> down. I will never fight that battle. She's a volume, volume hitter. 
but um, but if if you want someone to come in and bang that three from the top of the key, <laughs> I got my scallops and risotto and uh, asparagus ready for you. Like, wow. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. After this quarantine, I'm coming over for dinner. Yeah, yeah sounds good. It. Hit yeah. us up when you're in Chicago. <laughs> America, we'll come. <laughs> I've got family outside Chicago, so uh, I'm, I'm usually there relatively often, but yeah. who knows the next time I'll get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Erica, Maria, I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast, you know, getting vulnerable, opening up, talking about your lives. I, I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you for wanting to talk about that. I think this is a really good way to spread the good word, and so we appreciate you a lot for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Erica Williamson and Maria Nukas Williamson. I hope you enjoyed it. I really appreciate them opening up about their relationship. They're a great couple that's very lucky to have found each other. They have a great story involving their love of the sport of basketball and their love for each other. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.